Hey fam, it is your loving host Debo here. Welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Something a little different today, a little cross-cast action. I was on my friend Jonathan Levitt's podcast. We recorded here in Olympic Valley on Monday, and it was a super, super enjoyable conversation. If you don't know Jonathan, he is a great character in the sport. He works for and has been instrumental in building Inside Tracker, the brand, the company, uh, the blood testing service you've heard me rave about on the podcast many times. Well, Jonathan is also an excellent creator and podcaster himself. His show is called For the Long Run. If you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you do so. He is an awesome interviewer, great conversator, always has awesome guests. So go search For the Long Run in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and smash the subscribe button. After we recorded on Monday, Jonathan asked if I wanted to share the pod in our feed as well. I thought it was a great chat and a great idea. So without further delay, here's me on the For the Long Run podcast. See you all on the live stream on Saturday. Love you very much. It wasn't the path that she wanted, sort of like what I mentioned about my own wife having a similar uh, moment like that back in 2008 or so. Like, even though you've got a comfortable gig, if it doesn't bring you joy, why are you doing it? And having the confidence to bet on yourself in that situation and to align what you want to do with what you actually do. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back. I have Dylan Bowman joining me here in Olympic Valley. Dylan, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. JL. Hey, bro. How's it going? It's going well. I, I should have given you the view that I've got. I'm, we're, I'm staring at, at you with, with uh, Palisades Tahoe in the background. It's, uh, it's captivating. It's captivating. The, uh, we have a little bit of a lull in the energy, but you know, the, <laughs> Uh, impending race coming up next weekend. Of course, the Western States 100 is fantastic. And here we are. I'm in a wa- rocking chair, still <laughs> perfectly comfortable. So don't feel too bad for me. <laughs> Amazing. And I'm on a, uh, a wooden log futon as, as <laughs> one does apparently. In an arcade. In an basically. arcade room with Hayden Hawks in the sauna and plenty of other things going on around us. So um, this episode is airing the Friday before Western States. So uh, we're recording on Monday. So we are just a few days away. And if you're listening, just a few hours away from Western States. But this this podcast is intended to be a little bit about Western States, but a lot about a lot about Dylan and his journey and and whatnot. So before we dive into it, toughest question of the day, who is Dylan Bowman? That is an evolving thing as it is for everybody, every human on planet earth. But uh, the short story is that I'm a 36 year old professional trail runner and uh, grew up in Boulder, Colorado, which is your home now. Uh, I live in Portland, Oregon at this point in my life. 
and definitely feel like I'm at a bit of a crossroads in terms of my personal athletic and professional life in the last year, year and a half. I've really committed myself to a new professional venture called Free Trail, which is endeavoring to kind of elevate the conversation around trail and ultra running, specifically a sport that I found in my early 20s and that has completely changed my life and something that I'm deeply, deeply passionate about. Sensing that there was an opportunity in the media landscape and just sort of having a lifelong love of sport and sports stories and athletes. I felt like um, I could use my passion to hopefully push the sport into the next chapter of its growth trajectory, which has been accelerating over the last 10 years. So that's me in a nutshell. The uh, the 6,200 foot uh, view exactly. as we sit here. Actually, because we've climbed so many stairs, we're at 6,400 feet. <laughs> Altitude training. <laughs> so um, let's let's spin it back a few years. Uh, you said you got into the sport in your early 20s. Yep. What did that look like? I read a newspaper article in the Aspen Times. I was living in Aspen, Colorado at the time. The article was written about a gentleman by the name of Zeke Tiernan, who had just run the Leadville 100 and placed, I think it was third place, that year, and that was in 2008 or 2009. It was 2009 because I immediately upon reading that article, it was one of those sort of, at least in retrospect, kind of turning point moments where I became immediately obsessed with it. I was a collegiate lacrosse player, came from the team sports background, and admittedly felt a little lost at that point in my life. My early 20s, the first time not having a competitive outlet. And like I mentioned in my first answer, I've been a lifelong lover of sports and sports media and have always just found my purpose in game, <laughs> in, in competition and didn't have that anymore after graduating from college. And so uh, once I learned about ultra running, it became my obsession to do the Leadville 100. Uh, Zeke Tiernan and I ended up becoming really good friends uh, we didn't know each other at the time of me reading that article, but he ultimately became a really good friend, mentor, training partner. And I happened to come into the sport at the bottom of what has been a crazy dramatic growth curve. And so I've been able to kind of build my career within the sport first as an athlete, still as an athlete, and now sort of bridging into the media entrepreneurship space. And you found some joy and, and success in the longer distance racing. What did that process look like going from beginning as a trail runner into uh, being an ultra runner? I think I was just looking for something at the time, you know, because I did feel lost. I was very unfit, probably as unfit as I had ever been in my life, partying like an animal, you know, living a reckless early 20s life. and. Yeah, just in hindsight, and this is something that I say to younger athletes all the time, is like, it would have been nice to take a more gradual approach to the sport, but I was looking for something and I found it in the Leadville 100. And it became my obsession and I wanted to do it. I became totally, yeah, just totally obsessed with it. There was nothing that was going to stop me. And I still remember to this day, just being on that start line, just knowing that there was no way I wasn't going to finish, you know? And because I had that attitude, I think it led to me having an easier time being successful early. And like I said, this was the bottom of this crazy growth curve. 
And so, yeah, I was able to just kind of ride that wave, you know, building passion along the way. And so for me, it was honestly like a pretty seamless transition going from being a field sport athlete to like a mountain sport endurance athlete. Obviously there was a lot of learnings along the way, but to me, it was like a really, really seamless transition. So you're standing on that star line of Leadville, a race you had learned about and it became your obsession to to get there and get into it and run it. What are you thinking about on that on that star line? Honestly, dude, I had this deep confidence. It's weird, right? Because usually when people do their first 100 mile race, they're consumed with fear. I'd been thinking about it for a year and I was just like happy to be there. I had hilariously like all my college lacrosse teammates, <laughs> like a crew of 40 people who were all like out partying the whole way. And it was one of those just like peak life experiences, you know, and because I came from an athletic background, the training comes easy to me, you know, and competition is second nature for me. So it's not like I was scared. And I also didn't have like competitive objectives. So I just went out there and enjoyed it. And because I had that attitude, I was able to finish third place and totally outperformed my expectations, my family's expectations. Everybody who was there was just kind of like blown away that it went so well. And of course, at that point, it's just like so addicting, right? When you have an experience like that, it's like, I want to do that again. And, uh, you know, that's just how it snowballed for me. The third place, what year was this? 2010. So did that change your trajectory or what you thought could be possible in the sport right away? Yeah, I was, so I was living in Aspen at the time. I was working at the Little Nell Hotel, a five-star, five-diamond hotel in Aspen, Colorado. Very much just like living the dream in a mountain town resort and not really sure what I wanted to do with my life professionally. But I'd always dreamed about like being a pro athlete. Um, and like I said, I played lacrosse in college. There weren't really opportunities to compete professionally as a lacrosse player in those days. But we could talk more about professional lacrosse later. To be honest, I probably we'll wasn't good enough we'll to do We'll have to real it. patty into that conversation. Yeah, we should, we should. Um, anyway, but yeah, like I had always wanted to be a pro athlete. You know, the whole lacrosse thing sort of came to a close at the end of my collegiate years. And so, you know, for me, it was just all about finding the next passion. And, you know, because I was kind of living this mountain town sort of like, you know, I guess just, early 20s existence where I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. It was like when I found trail and ultra running, it was like, wait, this is what I want to do with my life. And then slowly over time, it became more and more my livelihood and my lifestyle. It wasn't like overnight, it became my job or anything like that. But that's kind of how it progressed for me. And at what point did did you or did you stop and reflect on the fact that, okay, now you are a professional athlete sponsored by an apparel brand. Um, you've got, you know, other sponsors and you're doing what you had been dreaming of for a long time. What was that moment like when you're like, oh shit, I'm there? Yeah. The first time I ever got paid to be an athlete was actually kind of a special moment in my life too. And I don't think I've ever talked about this, but it was actually when we decided to move from Colorado to California my wife now, who was my girlfriend then, Harmony Bowman, she decided that she wanted to leave Aspen. And I was extraordinarily reluctant to accept that decision. In fact, it caused like serious 
uh, conflict in our relationship. We hadn't been together for a very long time, but our relationship had become very serious very quickly. And so she ultimately, you know, decided that she was going to move to San Francisco. And after a long time agonizing about it, I decided that I would go with her very much assuming that in six months we would break up and I would move back to Aspen. Because for me, I was like living the dream life, you know, skiing all winter, running all summer, having like a one of the better professional jobs in town in a, a place that is very much like about hospitality. I was working in management. I was on like a little bit of a path for my professional career. And I never at this point had dreamt about like being a pro athlete because it didn't really exist in trail running. Nobody was making a real living at that point. But then when I made that decision that I was going to follow Harmony to the Bay Area, I got my first professional offer from Pearl Izumi at the time. And they offered to pay me- be a cyclist. Well. Yeah, 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 exactly. They have exited this, the running space entirely at this point, but OGs in the sport will know that they had a pretty big footprint at one point in time. And they paid me what I thought was a mind-blowing sum of money. In retrospect, it was, you know, paltry. But um, yeah, it was like one of those things where you just take one step into the unknown of like, okay, I'm going to California. I've been living in Colorado my whole life. I'm chasing a girl to a major metropolitan area, something I never thought I would do. And then landing, having that commitment from Pearl Izumi, and it coincided with the opening of the San Francisco Running Company, which we fell into, you know, and I can't say enough about just like how wonderful the next like six years of our lives were just like falling into that community. It was a time I got connected with my coach and my career just took off. And so, yeah, it was a special moment in my life because it was like one of those illustrations of like a crossroads and you have to choose a path. And once you make that choice, that universe kind of opens up and offers you a few opportunities. Totally. I feel the same way. Um, and I'm like vividly remembering a conversation I had in March of 2021 with that same pivot point where my CEO said, why haven't you moved to Colorado yet? You look so happy. And I was like, wait a minute, I didn't know I could. And he said, uh, he basically said, just do we it. We want you to be happy. You'll yeah, be better at your job. Exactly. And everything changed after yeah. that. It's um, things that I had been dreaming of for years just happened. Mm -hmm. Because when you find something or do something or you're in the place that, uh, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here with you, but like when you find that fit, everything else really just falls into place. And I think it's so much, so one of those things that like, Joy attracts joy and it just snowballs from there. And things that you don't expect totally. start sort of coming to you. Or, or things that you've been trying to achieve or attain or whatever just happen with yeah. no effort, which is super cool. So your six-year adventure in San Francisco, local legend all over the Marin <laughs> Trails. Um, at what point in that journey did you start realizing that there might be even more opportunities out there? And I'm thinking of what you're doing now. Like when when did Free Trail, when was that idea born? Yeah, so that was really 2019, much, much later. And in hindsight, it's so obvious, right? It's one of those things where it's like, 
as they say, it takes 25 years to be an overnight success sort of thing. Not to say we're successful in any way right now, but what I mean is that I've spent my entire life consuming sports media, right? And always wanting something more in trail running, right? And ultimately, I just kind of came to the conclusion, well, maybe you should just do it, right? And I guess to give you the longer story. In 2019, I had a really hard year, really hard year. We had just moved away from the Bay Area, actually, which was way more disruptive to my emotional health than I thought it would be because we had extracted ourselves out of this incredibly amazing community of people, people that are still like our best friends. And it was the peak of my athletic career too. And we'd become somewhat frustrated and disillusioned with the cost of living and our inability to like afford a place to buy there, et cetera. And actually we decided to move back to Colorado only temporarily because I was going to go to train in Aspen for the summer because I was doing TDS. And Harmony was at a place in her career. She worked for a big fortune 500 company in the Bay area. And she was also not fulfilled with her career and ready to take a step back, figure out what she wanted to do next. And we were like, well, let's, you know, quit your job, come to Colorado with me. We'll get rid of our apartment in Mill Valley. And, you know, we had the most incredible summer that summer. Um, But after that summer, this wishy-washy nature of our life of like, we're not really sure if we're going to stay here. We're not sure if we're going to go back. I fell into this weird sadness, like inexplicable. And I've done a lot of like therapy to try and figure out what it comes from. But ultimately, I think it was just feeling untethered to a home, you know? And so I was in this deep, like depression for lack of a better word for months. And then not coincidentally, I think my body started falling apart. I got like crazy sick a couple of times, like bedridden sick. I broke my ankle in like a heinous way. I crashed my bike and separated my shoulder because I wasn't running. So I'm like, I got to stay fit. I'm going to ride my bike, crash my bike, separate my shoulder. And just like the universe is telling you something, you know? And it was in that, like kind of emerging from that sadness, fast forwarding like a year um, because it lasted a long time that I started to kind of reconcile the fact that like, dude, you're not going to be an athlete forever because as you're getting hurt, And I had just re-signed all these new contracts with my sponsors coming off a really successful season in 2018, being compensated to a level I'd never dreamt about and now feeling like a complete fraud, you know, just like, I don't deserve this. I'm hurt, injured, I'm not doing anything. But what it taught me is like, dude, you gotta like think about the future. Like you're not gonna be an athlete forever. And so that experience really helped me to sort of think about like, well, what do you want to do, right? Like, I know what I love. It's sports. Specifically, it's trail and ultra running. It's what I know the most about. It's where I feel like I have a competitive advantage and that like I have a passion. I have the knowledge. I have the experience. And I have this lifelong love of sports media, right? And it was actually my Red Bull manager at the time who doesn't work for Red Bull anymore, but who's still a dear, dear friend. His name's Aaron Lutzi. 
he encouraged me to start a podcast and really he gave me no excuse not to. And so but basically what I'm saying is that Red Bull gave me the resources to like get it, get it going and get it off the ground. And that was the first step. And then, you know, I can go into sort of the progression beyond that, but you know, it just has immediately just kind of brought me so much joy and something that I had always, I think maybe unconsciously knew I wanted to do. And so when I fell into it, just like I felt this intense feeling of purpose from it. So that's the long story of how Free Trail got started. <laughs> it was born out of a period of misery. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it cool when, I mean, you, it, it doesn't sound like you had a whole, or so I guess I'll ask the question, did you have a whole plan for it or did it just sort of happen? None whatsoever. Yeah. And again, this is like going back to 2012 when that fork in the road that I talked about last 10 years later, I feel like I'm at a similar place now where it was like, I took that first step down a path and then things just started happening, right? Ultimately kind of got connected with my friend and business partner, Ryan Thrower, who's a critical piece of our small team. And Harmony also, my wife is a, a major contributor as well. Um, you know, that all kind of happened at a, you know, a what's the word I'm looking for at like an important moment. Right. And then getting connected with a guy with those skills opened, broaden the aperture of like, okay, well, what could we do beyond just a podcast? And so, yeah, like now I very much feel like I know what we are and what we're trying to do. And that is to be a core lifestyle brand in the sport of trail running. Right now we focus on training and media and events, but I really think there's nothing we can't do and can't do authentically. And we have big plans and things that we want to do. Um, but yeah, no, there was, when I started my podcast, it wasn't like, oh, like, I think I can turn this into a business that came later. I think it's so interesting to hear you say it that way, because same with this one, like I never had a plan. And I was just sort of followed the passion of yeah. just having cool conversations with people. And now it's like grown into something I couldn't have ever imagined, yeah. um, which is cool. It's like when you don't try really hard at something, sometimes it's even more successful. Dude, that's a profound thing. And it's something I'm struggling with right now because I have been freaking on the gas pedal, you know, like pushing, 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 pushing so freaking hard. And I was recently talking to somebody who's sort of in our community. Her name's Joe Thorpe. She actually lives in New Zealand. And she said something to the effect of sometimes you need to loosen off the reins in order for things to, to happen, which is so not in my nature and not in the nature of athletes in general, because you just want to like push, 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 work hard, work hard, work hard. But like, I'm sure you can relate. Like sometimes you just feel like you're working so hard and nothing is happening. So my friend Tansy was on the podcast and talked about goal setting. And she said, you hold a goal in your hand, like you hold an egg. And if you squeeze too hard, it cracks, but you got to keep it close, but you can't squeeze too hard. And I, I love that. And it's like, every time I'm trying too hard to do something, it doesn't happen. And then when you back off a little bit and, and work a little smarter versus harder, sometimes things happen and Dude. sometimes it's just luck, but sometimes I think that there's a lot to backing off to or pulling back to shoot forward. So important and does not come naturally to me and something I'm very much struggling with right now. For sure. What, what does that struggle look like? How does it, how does it manifest? I mean, for me, 
it's the nonstop preoccupation and anxiety about how do I make this work as a business, you know, because like, I know I love what I'm doing, right? But I've set my life up in such a way that like, I really need this to work. You know, I've really gone all in, in some ways that I'll never talk about publicly, but I'm freaking all in on this. Simultaneously, my wife is eight months pregnant right now. And I, like I said, know that I love what I'm doing, but like really struggling to figure out like, okay, well, how do you make this the main thing, right? Deep down, like I have an intuition that like what we're doing is worthwhile, right? And many thanks to people like you who have been supportive of what we're doing. Seriously, it's like incredibly you know, I can't even communicate the gratitude for that because it's like really hard, you know, because I I don't only feel like a personal pressure of like, I don't want to fail, you know, in the same way you don't want to DNF at Western States or a big race or whatever. It's like, I don't want to publicly fail, but also like, I really want it to work for my wife, for my um, my soon-to-be son, for Ryan, our partner. And I, I want to like provide other opportunities for other people and like hire people and make it all work. So, I mean, that's really where I am right now. It's like, okay, we've, we're making slow, steady progress, but I'm really just like, God, we need a freaking break. Like we need a big break. I mean, I need to like figure out how to make this so that it actually can be my my main thing. You know? so I think it's interesting. The There's such a gap in terms of, I mean, there are so many podcasts, right? There are so many athletes who are making a livelihood through social media and Instagram in particular. And I think that brands are moving further away from pro athlete models of the past, right? It's not enough just to compete and win. Yep. Um, there are plenty of athletes who are, great athletes and they're not relatable and they're not, they don't tell their story and they either win all the time and they don't talk about it or they have terrible races and they don't talk about it. And then you have people like yourself and people like Amelia Boone and all these other amazing athletes in the sport who tell the, the roller coaster of a journey and brands want to work with those athletes. And it's, paving the way for all these opportunities like podcasts, like media, like all these things that um, you're, you're putting together. And when the hard drives don't fail, then, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. then, then you have some really awesome yeah, storytelling. Like, that, that's a great example. It's just like, there's always this like crazy challenge, right? Yeah. It's like things that you never anticipate are going to come up. And, you know, I've never fancied myself as like an entrepreneur or anything like that. But now that I'm doing it, I'm, completely obsessed. Like I can't turn my brain off. It's the same thing going back to what I was explaining about the 2010 level 100. It was just like, I, it's in my nature to just like go. But you know? do you think that's a fault or do you think it's a, sometimes, it's a quirk and that, <laughs> that like you couldn't be successful without that feature? Definitely. I mean, there's no shortage of successful people who have some personality flaws that contribute to that success. For me, I'm an incredibly impatient person right. to a fault. I'm also incredibly stubborn and don't give up. And uh, my wife will tell you about a number of circumstances in which that's a horrible personality trait, but for an ultra runner, you know, who's competing at the highest level, like it's been an asset. And similarly, I feel like it is now, you know, like 
there's been a lot of times where I'm just like, this is so pointless. Like, what am I doing? And I just can't freaking quit, you know? And like, not to so say I why, won't. Why are you doing it? Uh, because I, uh, number one, because it has brought me a ton of joy and a sense of purpose. And like, this is what I was meant to do, you know? And I do think, going back to what you're just saying about Amelia, like, I already feel like free trail has had a bigger influence on the sport than my career has ever had. Like when I see people now, like here in Olympic Valley, they're like, Hey man, I love the podcast. Not like, Hey dude, good job at hard rock or anything like that. And it's like, that is When did you acknowledge that for the first time? It's been recently. Yeah. To where like I run into people in Portland on the trail and they're like, Hey, I'm listening to your show right now. I'm like, God, that Isn't makes that me feel so, so good. You know, <laughs> it's like, wow, like they care enough to actually yeah. like, listen. And it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, the reason that I do it is because like it has brought me a ton of joy, but also like, I feel like our sport is worth it and it needs it and that I'm in a position to do it. And so it's like, I'd love to be of service to the community in that way. And then how have other, I guess, media entities, I'm thinking Trail Society, mm-hmm. How do things like that come about where you're bringing other people into the mix? Yeah. And, so, and can you give a little background on, on what, what is Trail Society? Yeah. As well? So Trail Society is the, the second show in our sort of free trail network. The other being my own show, the free trail podcast. And yeah, all, all kudos go to the, the team there, especially Keely. She's the one, Keely Henninger, that is inside tracker athlete who uh, is also a Portlander and who's just like one of those people who's not only a phenomenal athlete, but has an incredibly powerful brain who wants to have a broader impact beyond standing on podiums. And, you know, I just was thinking about how do we expand our network? How do we like have a bigger voice? How do we include other people? And I just kind of talked to Keely about like, hey, would you ever want to like do a podcast? Cause she was helping us with like some women's health content that we were making at the time. And, um, she came up with the idea of like, well, maybe we make it kind of a round table format. And that immediately I was like, yes, because you know, then it's differentiated from my show where, which is very much one-on-one interview based, like we're doing now their show. It's Keely Henninger, Corinne Malcolm, Hillary Allen, all three of whom are like science oriented, very intelligent coaches in the sport and phenomenal athletes who are, you know, have a, uh, a deeper, I guess, motivation again, beyond just performing well. And so when they, when we sort of put the team together, it was like, this is a freaking important thing. And actually to pull the current back a little bit this morning, I received an email from a trail society listener it was just like, it gives me goosebumps. You can see just thinking about it because they're just talking about the the email that I received was just very much like, Hey Dylan, I really like your show, but like trail society is amazing. And like, here's the impact it's had on me. And like, so for me, I can't take any credit for it. You know, Ryan does the production for the show. Uh, they sort of exist within the, the free trail network, but they're very much autonomous. They get to do whatever they want to do. And, we trust them 100% to make great content and contribute a great voice of leadership to the community that's, you know, has that kind of female influence as well. And we'd like to add more to our network. Uh, and we have some ideas about how we're going to do that in the future. What is it like to watch someone like Keely evolve as 
a business person as well as, and as her own brand. Like it's, I've been following her and I've known of her and I've known her for long enough to watch her rise as an athlete in the sport, um, rise in what she does as a coach and employee formerly at Nike and then have enough of a, of a solid ground to stand on to actually quit her job. Yep. And, and that's fueled by some of the work that she's doing with you and that she's doing as an athlete and as a coach. So what is, what is it like to like watch someone else pursue their dreams and play a role in that? Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly inspiring and I, uh, I obviously I'm not taking any credit for Keely's evolution. She's done it on her own. She's a fantastic athlete. I think she very much represents this current era of the professional end of the sport. It's, I think, great that people of her caliber can devote themselves a little bit more to just being athletes, but she's not the type of person that would just, you know, quit the job and, you know, run twice a day and take two naps and be like that. You know, she wants to have a broader impact in that. And I think trail society allows it, but it's illustrative of another point of just like betting on yourself. You know, she had a, what I'm sure was a high paying, comfortable job at Nike. And she realized that it wasn't the path that she wanted. Sort of like what I mentioned about my own wife, having a similar uh, moment like that back in 2008 or so, like, even though you've got a comfortable gig, if it doesn't bring you joy, why are you doing it? And having the confidence to bet on yourself in that situation and to align what you want to do with what you actually do. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been inspiring to see um, Keely sort of make this jump and I can't wait to see her race this weekend. Yeah, I'm stoked. <laughs> uh, again, this is airing the day before the race, um, about 24 hours before the race starts. Uh, and I can't wait the, the joy that she had on her face at the finish line and, um, how she manifested a, a strong, strong day in her first hundred miler, yep. uh, last year. Um, can't wait to see what she does, yep. uh, out there this year. So we've talked, switching gears a little bit, we've talked a lot about the future of the sport, media sponsorships and whatnot on Twitter and texting and, um, in person from time to time. But I'm curious from where you sit. What does the future look like and and feel like as an athlete? Um, and then also on the, I guess you could say on the brand side, you're you're you have a brand now. Yeah. Big question. So I'll try and tackle it in a uh <laughs> million dollar question. Yeah, yeah, Pun intended. So I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously, because it has a big implication for how I direct my own business within the sport, but I'm totally convinced that this is a very important moment in the history of trail running and that presents a lot of different opportunities. And of course, with accelerated change comes some friction and there's going to be challenges that we have to deal with as a community. And my hope is that what we can do is always keep the culture and the values of trail running as our North Star and we don't lose sight of that. But to answer your question more directly, and I've been working on writing a, a thing about this just to kind of consolidate my thoughts in a more coherent way. And eventually I'll get around to posting it. But, you know, what I think it comes down to is that distribution is everything in professional sport, right? It doesn't matter that trail and ultra running is the best sport in the world if you don't 
tell people that and tell them over and over and over. And so things like the advent and evolution of live streaming races, I think is a groundbreaking shift in our sport that is only going to accelerate the growth curve that we've already seen over the last decade. And the reason for that is because I think our sport has a competitive advantage in the marketplace of endurance adventures or objectives that people are setting. In other words, in January, when people are setting their New Year's resolutions, figuring out what they want to do, they're going to decide, hey, do I want to go do an Ironman? Do I want to go run the New York City Marathon? Do I want to go try and run the way too cool 50K? Do I want to at some time, like maybe do UTMB? When they tune in to the Western States live stream next weekend, I make it my personal mission to tell people that this is what they should choose, right? Because that's my belief. And I think that when they see not only the culture and values of the sport, because I think that's the most, the biggest kind of selling point that we have, but then also when you see the majesty of the places that we compete in, when you see like the beautiful vistas of Francois Dane climbing up over, you know, the Tete of Vaughan on the UTMB course with Mont Blanc just in the background, it's like, why I'm would I- my ev- flights right now. Yeah, it's like, why would I ever go do an Ironman? You right. know, like this is a much cooler thing, in my opinion, you know, and that's our competitive advantage. I mean, and just look behind you. Exactly. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a, a video of, of you saying <laughs> exactly. this, look at this freaking spot. <laughs> so, you know, I've made it my kind of personal responsibility in some ways to preach the gospel and to be the obnoxious dude who's always beating the drum about why people should get into the sport. And because of that, I've kind of developed a reputation of being the guy who's like pro growth and like not, uh, I guess, as averse to the, you know, financial interests that might contradict some of the values that people love about it. Um, But, you know, I think that the future of the sport is incredibly bright and it's up to all of us to be, you know, true to the values, hold each other accountable if we see that there are cultural violations and uh, ultimately like it's, it's up to us to determine the future, not up to me, not up to any of the brands, not up to any of the races. It's, it's up to the community and, you know, we intend to be leaders in the community. So someone who's listening to this podcast, I, I think the mix of listeners is fairly even between road and trail. Mm-hmm. So and I'm pretty biased, <laughs> but I also love marathons and I love running fast Nothing wrong and with flat. It. Yeah. Um, but I also love running up that, that hill over there and running down it. Yep. Um, to someone who's listening, who's perhaps never run on a trail, what are you telling them? Go to a race. I mean, you know, the vibe is palpable. You know, if you've never been to a trail race of any distance, doesn't have to be an ultra marathon though. If you go to the golden hour at Western States, you'll be especially moved. But if you just hung out here in the village last weekend during the Broken Arrow Sky Race, didn't have to compete whatsoever, but just kind of were there to absorb the energy, I think you'd be sold that it's a productive use of your time. There's nothing wrong with road running. There's nothing wrong with road racing. I think they're complementary sports, but I think it's, at the end of the day, it's a different person that we're speaking to. And 
for me, I very much view myself as an outdoor athlete, not like a high performance athlete. I view myself as like a lifestyle person who's a trail runner to my core. And this is something that I've always, going back to your question about the brand side of things that I've always tried to beat into the heads of brands to think about is like, this isn't like the road marathon. You need to take a different strategy that you would um, you know, if you were going to be doing some kind of activation at the Boston Marathon or whatever, this is much more like skiing and snowboarding and rock climbing and surfing than it is like triathlon or marathoning. And with that change in psychology, I think, you know, people will uh, come to maybe understand the sport a little more deeply. But I mean, I Again, I do kind of make it my personal <laughs> responsibility to try and get more people to to try it out. But I mean, and that's why on the live streams every time, I'm like, you don't have to do a hundred miler. Come do a VK. Come do the 11K at Broken Arrow. Like just come get your feet on dirt, push yourself a little bit, connect with the community and you're going to be absolutely sold. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that I feel like inertia is the challenge. And someone's like, oh, I don't like animals or I don't want to be attacked by a bear. I'm terrified of wildlife and I (laughs) I still go out there and enjoy it. But um, yeah, I think you're totally right. And and the live streams make this possible. It's, you said, come out and get your feet wet, but even just watching the live stream is a way to get your feet wet. And again, this is, this is airing Friday, right before Western States. So if someone's listening and, and it hasn't started yet, how can they tune into the live stream? I would Google Western States 100 YouTube or go to YouTube and look up the Western States 100 channel. Maybe put a link in the show notes because I don't know exactly what it is, but it will be on the Western States 100 YouTube channel. We're going to start at 4.15 a.m. on Saturday, June 25th. It's Pacific time. So a a balmy 7.15 a.m. Eastern time. Yep. Civilized hour. (laughs) And then myself and Corinne Malcolm, who is my often co-host and great friend and collaborator. We have the great honor and privilege to host the live stream, at least for the first 20, 21 hours or so. We go through the top 10 women. How much coffee does that take? It takes a few cups for (laughs) sure. Yes. Well hydrated, well caffeinated. Uh, But I mean, honestly, last year, and I'm sure Corinne would agree with this, absolute peak life experience for us. Like, that 20 hours that we did went by in a blink of an eye. And honestly, as somebody who's been an athlete my whole life, it was one of the best days of my entire life and of my entire career. Like having the honor of doing that to share my passion and to really bring that race and the sport in general into more people's minds. It was just like a one of those things where like, wow, I feel like I haven't been in the sport super long, but now I really do feel like I'm kind of moving into a new chapter and like feel like I can have a much different impact on the sport. And, you know, being able to host the live stream, at least for those first 20 hours, pulling that first shift is like one of the true honors of my career. What's it like working and learning from a guy like Billy Yang? He's a superstar. I mean, he's the leader. He's the one who drives the the whole ship. And yeah, I mean, it's really important to mention him, the entire Western States board and the crew that we have behind the scenes because 
since Corinne and I kind of occupy the chairs and are on camera, you know, we get the disproportionate amount of attention and kudos, but really it is all Billy behind the scenes that leads it and plans it and does a lot of the pre-production content. And yeah, the vision of Diana Fitzpatrick and the board of Western States, Craig Thornley, the race director, really investing in this and um, the brands that are part of it, including Inside Tracker, shout out. Um, Make it so that we can't have the distribution. Going back to what I'm saying, distribution is everything. It doesn't matter that trail running is the best sport in the world if we don't tell people. And so this is our opportunity to tell people. And I intend to make good on that opportunity. (laughs) So where did the idea for the live stream come from? I think, so this was before my time on the board. I think it was Billy's idea. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, All I know is that he approached Corinne and myself, uh, you know, probably early 2021 about doing last year's live stream. And uh, it takes a lot of work for sure. We do a ton of meetings. In fact, tomorrow we'll be on Zoom for like an hour and a half wrapping out about it. I think it's our final kind of pre-race meeting about the live stream. But yeah, um, I think it was Billy's idea. Cool. So oh, and this year's going to be better. I don't want to. I don't <laughs> want to say too much, but it's going to be better. It's because of all the inside tracker spots. Inside tracker <laughs> spots. Elon Musk and Starlink is coming through for We've us. We've got NFTs. <laughs> yes. So fast forward five years. Uh, what are you excited about in trail running? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just want. I'm also fancy myself as a big fan of the sport and an advocate for the pro athletes. And that's why my show mostly revolves around the pro athletes in the sport of trail running is because I identify with them. I feel a sense of responsibility as kind of the older guard moving towards the end of my competitive career to like really try and set the kids up, (laughs) really try and, you know, set the next generation up to like crush it, you know, make a living as an athlete. But, you know, always like, you have to also understand what this sport is about, you know, and hand that off to them as well. And so I hope that I can help be a bridge between the generation that I came up in and the next generation of athletes who are much more talented, much more, you know, kind of committed and have every opportunity to make a living for themselves and a healthy living for themselves in trail running, but to also just make sure- What do you think that part looks like? Well, just to finish the thought, but to also make sure that they don't lose sight of what this sport is about, you know, that it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter if you win or lose, but at the end of the day, you still fucking shake hands no matter what, you know? And that's that's an important thing to me. But to answer your question of what it what I think it looks like is, you know, I think there's people right now, if you think about the faces of our sport, it's Killian Jornet, Courtney DeWalter, Francois Dane, Jim Walmsley. I put those four superstar athletes up against any other sport. Like find me four people in any other sport that are as talented, as successful, but also as approachable and cool as human beings, like that's our competitive advantage. And so, you know, my hope is that this next generation will, you know, see their example of like Francois, you know, he's just moving out of his life as a winemaker or whatever, but the dude has had a job his whole career and he's insanely good. And hearing him talk about like what his family and his career has brought into his life, it just makes you think like, this is what it's about. 
And then, you know, similarly, Courtney, like, refuses to say a positive thing about herself because she doesn't want to come off as bragging, right? And it's like, that's the type of humility that at least I resonate with. And Killian, you know, just somebody who you could never relate to, but who is a super humble, introverted father of two. And Jim, of course, you know, an otherworldly talent, but who at his core is just like a humble, soft-spoken kid. It's like, dude, that's the future. And I hope that the next generation sees that example and tries to follow it and makes it more about more than just winning and losing. Because if that if that's what the sport becomes, I don't want anything to do with it, you know? And I'll be the first one to, you know, to walk away or to call it out. Just a brief, uh, brief shout out to my producer, Brian Walters, who is going to be dealing with every sound imaginable during this, <laughs> <laughs> this recording. The road has had construction, the, the, there are noises left and right. So, uh, Brian, thank you for the work that you do. Um, yeah, totally agree. Um, it's not about winning and losing. Winning and losing is, I think, a piece of the, of the puzzle. And it's what gives us a benchmark of like how to tinker and what levers to pull on. But the piece that that I find to be most attractive about running, but specifically trail running, is the approachability of the athletes and the storytelling of the journey. And it's cliche, but like the journey is the destination and all of this stuff that, you know, we hear coaches preaching about. But like, that's it. That's the fact that, you know, pro athletes are out there cheering on the last finisher. I was standing and watching the 52K uh, or the 46K at 6.45 p.m. on Saturday. And there was a huge crowd cheering in the last guy to come through. And he was out there for 11 and a half hours. And in the last hour, he had a hailstorm and it snowed as well and all sorts of crazy stuff. And and nobody cares what his, what his time was or that he was first or third or last. It's the, it's the pursuit of... I'm going to have a day yeah. and enjoy it. And and what what the race crew says at the start of this race, in per, or Broken Arrow in particular, is that's the why, right? Yeah. When, when the lights are out and all is said and done, all that matters is the adventure and the people you did it with um, and the the stories that you pick up along the way. It's that, it's not your birth year, it's not your death year, it's that dash in between. And yeah. that's... That's what matters. And no doubt. I love that. Uh, on this point, it's coming into my mind and I think relevant. And we've been on the board of Western States have been talking about some of like the most important moments in the race's history and stuff just to potentially work into the live stream, et cetera. And universally, the most popular, biggest moment in history. Can you guess? Golden hour. Gunhild Swanson's finish with two seconds left on the clock. <laughs> Not... Jeff Rose, the unbreakable year, not Jim Walmsley breaking the record, not Ellie Greenwood breaking the record, not, you know, Tim Tweetmeyer and Trayson doing their heroic stuff back in the day, but the last place runner in like 2016 <laughs> or 2017, it's like, that's the sport, you know, and that's what I try and get across. The last hour, golden hour at Western States is the most incredible hour of the year, yep. I think. To see all of those strangers cheering other strangers on and you see families coming through and you can see it in the face of somebody who just spent 29 plus hours traveling hundred miles by foot, 100.2 miles by foot um, 
that's it. That's, that's the point. Exactly. Yep. Cool. Um, Dylan, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully this is the first of many conversations like this, um, on this and other podcasts. And, uh, I want to thank you for doing what you do in the sport. Um, it's really cool to see people doing things for the right reason. And in this age of, you know, everyone and their mother having a podcast, <laughs> there's plenty of, of good and there's plenty of, you know, other stuff as well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's cool to see and, and hear more about your North Star and, and why Free Trail has taken off. Um, it makes sense. And, and I'm excited to see what, what the team does in the future. Well, dude, thanks so much for having me on the show. I love what you do also, you know, as a creative and a content creator. And I know you have so much other stuff on your plate and really honestly, like it makes a difference what you do for the sport too. Like it's so important to have people that give back, you know, and without that type of support from a brand level, I mean, in addition to what you do as a podcaster and creator yourself, like it's so important, you know, and people do need to like, respect those who make investments in our sport. And I was talking about Brendan Madigan, you know, this past weekend as well. Another great example of taking, you know, as much as he can and reinvesting it back into the community. He could easily probably make twice as much money as he does off the Broken Arrow race, if not more than that. But he chooses to, to reinvest that. And I think you represent the same thing. I something I aspire to do as well. So thanks for having me on the show. Of course, and I appreciate that as well. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. <laughs>